we're going to have you turn uh, to the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, remember? Remember this, it's the only book, I think, that says, blessed is for those who read it and hear it, the words of this prophecy. Those who read this and hear this and keep those things, not just read and hear, but keep those things which are written in it, Uh, for the time is near, it says, you'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. It's a shame many people don't teach this book. And that's okay. I mean, no, it's not okay. But, you know, I'm not trying to be too critical, but it's a shame that we don't teach this book and study this book and know this book. And uh, as you know, as you've been coming here over the last several weeks or months, uh, we have a particular way in which we think it plays out, and one of the ways we think it plays out is just to read it and let it say what it says for itself and keep moving along right according to the divine outline that's in chapter 1, verse 19, and that if you take it that way, it just sort of, not sort of, it just does make sense to you. If you just let it go and uh, flow and uh, see it in its, I guess this is the way to say it, chronology, or uh, a chronology right here in the book, you know, know, God's outside time and space, but just let it flow. And we have been seeing over the last several weeks, haven't we, that the church is up in heaven in chapter 4 and 5, and the throne and the Lamb were the things that uh, the saints were or wanted to adore and to look at and there was only one in heaven who was willing or able not willing i guess well he is willing but also able he had the authority and the right to take the scroll the title deed to the earth and that was jesus christ and we remember that song where the saints when they see this and the church the the creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb having a harp and golden bowls, and they sing, you're worthy to take the scroll. And they sing this song that worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom. And, but I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, is he opened this scroll. It has seven seals on it. And we went through all of the seals, but remember the seventh seal is like the uh, Bible's you know, Russian doll, as I think of it. Uh, because the seventh seal then opened the seven trumpets, which open, we're going to see tonight, the seven bowl judgments. As we are rapidly coming to, uh, it's going to go fast now, to the end of the book of, of Revelation. And we've been seeing over the last couple weeks kind of a pause in the chronology. They kind of just start to tell you what happens during the first bit of the Uh, seven years of tribulation, and then uh, it starts to pause, and it starts to tell you, uh, uh, the Bible starts to tell you who the characters are uh, during the tribulation period, and uh, you'll remember this, right? You remember that uh, there were 144,000 Jewish sealed evangelists that we first meet in chapter 7, Remember them? And uh, trumpets are happening in and and through uh, those chapters. And uh, uh, John is asked to eat a book. And then we find 
two witnesses in chapter 11, two witnesses that are at the wailing wall and they die and come back. Remember that? They're witnessing, they're sharing the gospel. And then the seventh trumpet is opened and uh, we uh, take another pause and we find out who the woman, the child, and the dragon is. Remember, the woman is Israel. The child is Jesus Christ. And the dragon is Satan himself. That's in chapter 12. And then we meet two characters in uh, chapter 13, the beast from the sea. And we went through as well as we could, I guess, as we were just spending 10 or 15 minutes on that or maybe 20 minutes of who this person is. This is the... uh, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, and, uh, you know, that's closely tied with Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians, and we read through that. It's also closely tied with Daniel, uh, uh, all throughout the book of Daniel there. Uh, it's great to have a great working knowledge of Daniel if you want to understand Revelation, and so uh, I even expressed in some ways, I wish we'd have done Daniel first, but that's okay, we'll circle back and we'll we'll catch that too. But he's the beast from the sea, that Antichrist, but Many people don't know that there's another beast. He's the beast from the earth, and this is some sort of uh, not just a political leader, which the Antichrist is, this political statesman who rules this nation of the Ten Nation Confederation and uh, uh, does some things in which he uh, settles some sort of peace issue in the Middle East and makes a covenant right at the beginning of the uh, seven-year period of tribulation. Many think... I think it's a great possibility that part of that peace deal that he makes at the beginning of the seven-year, tribu- uh, uh, starting off the tribulation, also encompasses rebuilding of the temple on the Temple Mount, because the temple has to be there three and a half years into the Antichrist's reign, if you want to say it that way, because he's going to set himself up at the temple in three and a half years, and the false prophet, who is kind of the propaganda minister (laughs) for uh, the, uh, I kind of just made that up, but anyway, that's why I'm laughing, but the propaganda minister, he's the one that points people to the, the, uh, the Antichrist and gets people to follow him, right? And that Um, uh, beast from the earth or the false prophet is a religious leader of some sort. We'll find out some more about that uh, next week. But uh, so anyway, you have that unholy trinity, the dragon, Satan, Antichrist, and then you have uh, the false prophet. And we learned about that in 13. And we saw in chapter 14, uh, didn't we, uh, last week, this 144,000 come back again. We find them. They're, they're, they're pure. And uh, uh, we see that uh, the contrasting against the evil, we see the purity of the 144,000 in the first several ber- verses of chapter 14. And then we see these proclamations of these three angels at the end of that, uh, um, uh, or at the mi- middle and to, towards the end, we saw, see these three proclamations proclamations of three angels in chapter 14. And uh, this one angel is flying in the midst of heaven, uh, having the everlasting gospel he's preaching. And uh, uh, another angel is followed uh, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city because she's made all nations drink of the wine. We saw that. Then the third angel followed saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself soul shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Remember this? 
Well, uh, we saw here a uh, patience of the saints again, and uh, we uh, uh, see that John had a vision in 14 of uh, chapter 14, verse 14, where a white cloud and the Son of Man comes back, and he has a sharp sickle, and we saw that uh, he's going to reap a harvest, and then he's reaping these grapes of wrath. The wrath of God now is upon us. Well, the wrath of God has been being, has been being poured out in the first three and a half years, but now wrath as we've never seen it uh, or ever would see it uh, before is now coming to fruition as these seven bull trumpets uh, kick in. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. Remember when we ended and the winepress was trampled, verse 14, outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And we talked about that, about a 200-mile area. We talked about it, remember? All the way from Basra, Isaiah 63, 1 through 3. Basra is in Jordan on the other side of the Dead Sea. And then Joel tells us uh, that, and Jesus will be there. You know, you know why I think Jesus will be in Basra? Because remember that during the tribulation period, the Jews are going to flee the city and hide in the rocks. I think that's why Jesus is there. But you be a Brian and think that through. Uh, he's also seen his the feet land on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah tells us. Uh, Joel 3 says he's there in the Kidron Valley as part of this last campaign. And then also, as what we're going, what we're going to see tonight is he's about 60 miles uh, north of uh, Jerusalem in what's called the Valley of Megiddo. It's actually not the Valley of Megiddo, by the way. So I got to correct myself. It's the Valley of Jezreel with Mount Megiddo overlooking it. Okay, that's the technical way of saying it. But if you go there, and we do go there, you're going to see right there. Well, that's a perfect place for armies to gather, okay? And so that's how we finished uh, last week. So let me read, and uh, we're going to try and get through two chapters. Will it happen? I don't know. Here it is. Then I saw another sign in heaven, all kinds of signs for John, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things, I looked. And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden uh, bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels we're complete. So, dear Lord, help us to understand these things, would you please? Uh, and uh, get this right. As much as we can get it right this side of heaven, Lord, help us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, what's happening here? Here's the prelude to the bowl judgments. The prelude. I saw another sign, great and marvelous. This is to tell you that what's coming now is big and marvelous in the sense that what's, what, what, what we're about ready to witness, John, God's telling him <laughs> through the Holy Spirit, this is it. This is the stuff. You're going to want to really pay attention here because this is the penultimate. I mean, this is right here. This is uh, uh, the best, or I don't know, the most magnificent and terrible thing that's coming. Seven angels having the last seven plagues. For in them, the wrath of God is complete. Now listen, we've been throwing that term around, but tonight we want to just take a quick look at the wrath of God. I've got a couple, I've got a couple uh, definitions, so let me read them to you. Wrath is the personal manifestation of God's holy moral character in judgment against sin. That's the key. Wrath is neither an impersonal process nor an irrational and fitful like anger. Get that? It's not irrational. It's not what we are. It's not fitful like anger. It's in no way, listen, get this, it's not vindictive and it's not malicious. It's holy indignation. God's anger directed against sin. God's wrath is an expression, listen to this, of his holy love. If if God is not a God of wrath, his love is no more than a frail, worthless sentimentality. And oh, by the way, that's what the world's selling you. The concept of mercy then becomes meaningless, and the cross was a cruel and unnecessary experience for his son. I want you to think that through. If you want this quote, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I see somebody that I know wants it. <laughs> that's good. Okay, here's another definition. Uh, God's wrath, I love this one. The way this is said is so perfect. Who would, ever, who would ever use this word with hostility? God's wrath is his settled hostility. I love it. Towards sin in all its various manifestations. To say it's a settled hostility means that God's holiness cannot and will not coexist with sin in any form whatsoever. God's wrath is his holy hatred, holy hatred. Whoa. Of all that is unholy, it is his righteous indignation at everything that is unrighteous. So please note the distinctions. God's wrath is not uncontrolled rage. God's wrath is not vindictive bitterness. God's wrath is not God losing his temper. In fact, you know this, God is actually slow to anger. We know this. So God's wrath is his natural or his character's response to sin in the universe. He can't overlook it. He can't wink at it. Wrath is what happens when holiness meets sin. Wrath is what happens when justice meets rebellion. Did you catch that? Wrath is what happens when righteousness meets unrighteousness. Wrath is what happens when perfect good meets pure evil. Now, I took this, obviously. I, I didn't make that up. I didn't write that. I took that from some definitions from some other commentaries. 
but I want us to know what the wrath of God is. You see, people don't want to talk about the wrath of God. You know why people don't want to talk about the wrath of God? Because the more you talk about the wrath of God, the less people want to come in the doors. <laughs> I even heard it when I said it here today. Somebody moaned because it's, right? To us in America, it's not a pleasant thing. And yet, that is who God is in all his divine perfections. He's wrathful as much as he is merciful. He's merciful as much as he is wrathful. He's just as much as he is graceful. You, you see that? And he never acts outside of any of them. He never acts in an uncontrolled way. He never acts in a vindictive way. Uh, he only acts according to what, listen, is just and right and true and fair. And he's the one that tells us what fair and just and right is. You get it? Okay, so when you come back here, you start to say, oh, wow, the wrath of God. And, and you do. You look at about what we're about ready to look at, and it's horrific in some ways. But I want you to know something, and you're going to see it here tonight in the Word of God. It's completely fair. So here we go. We have these plagues, and their angels bring them out, and in them contains the wrath of God. And look, it's complete. It's complete. Now, what did Jesus say on the cross to Telestai? It is finished. Redemption was finished at the cross, you see. He paid it all. Listen, you're about ready to witness judgment being completed, being finished, being perfected here. That's what they tell us. And so I saw something like a sea of glass. Back in 4.6, chapter 4, verse 6, we saw them at the sea of glass, but it was crystal. They could see on it. Why would it be a sea of glass mingled with fire now? Why in heaven? Why is it mingled with fire? What's fire representative of? Judgment. And there's this sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass. Now, here in a minute, we're going to find out that this picture is, the, is in heaven, which means these people were killed. And the Bible says they have victory. <laughs> oh, what a weird, skewed mind we have about what's real and true and what life is about Wow, do we have it skewed. What we were singing here tonight, <laughs> here at the end, you're all I need, you're all I've ever wanted. See, Ecclesiastes tells us that that is true. That's who we want. We want that relationship with the Lord, that place in our heart that's reserved and seeks after him, and yet we go and try to find it in everything else but him. Here it says, the ones, the martyred saints... Now listen, some people believe this also could be uh, not the vision in heaven and could be the people who are getting saved in the tribulation, true, but it also must include the martyred saints, it must. And the, he says they have the victory over the beast, over his image. Because just like the thief on the cross, when you die today, Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. 
Yes, no one wants to die in a hurtful way. We don't want to be burned up in a fire, but, but we don't have to be scared of death because death is not the ending for us. It's just the beginning of forever <laughs> with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here they have the victory. And uh, why? Why did they have the victory? Because they uh, chose not to worship the beast. They chose not to worship his image. They chose not to take the mark. They chose none of that, and they were standing there on the sea of glass having harps of gold. You remember this, right? They were asked, uh, according to uh, chapter 13, it seems that the false prophet is going to set up this system with the Antichrist, and he's going to ask people to worship the image of the beast, verse 16 or 15, and if they don't, they'll be killed. And they have to take a mark to, in order to, to, to shop and to be involved in the economy and all that sort of thing. And these ones had victory because they denied it and their lives were taken. Well, what happens as a result? I wonder, have you ever thought of this? Well, I'm, I've just been slain. I feel like singing. You get it? I'm in heaven with the Lord. I'm going to be part of that group, that chorus that sings the song of Moses. Moses, And what does that uh, evoke in your heart? You remember when they came out of the Red Sea? They come out of the Red Sea. They're finally uh, uh, freed from uh, sin and bondage. That's what it's a picture of. But the bondage of Egypt and that oppression all those years, they finally come through the Red Sea and witness this miracle. Uh, the, the sea closes behind them, kills their enemies, and the chapter, just boom, they put the period on it. The next chapter, Moses and all the people sang a song unto the Lord. So they sing this song of the servant, or song of Moses, but also the servant, or also the song of the Lamb. Yes, because they're now in heaven. And if you go back in chapter four and chapter five, you see singing is a big part of what we're going to do in heaven. Who thinks that's great? Who thinks that's great? Right, right. We all love music, don't we? In our own way, different genres or whatever, but we love music. It does something to us. It stirs our soul. When you hear a great piece of music. You just connect with the Lord in a way that's just hard to explain, huh? But we know because we, we feel it and we know it and we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And here they say, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Okay, I, I want you to mark that. <laughs> Those people have been killed. They're not here like we are going, oh, Look at all that. We are feeling that. I'm not saying don't feel that. But these people are saying, let's sing and give praise to the one who brought me here and who I'm with now. And then I can say, purely just and true are your ways. Even though you slay me, Lord. O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, make you big, for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. And you know that's a theme all throughout the Bible. Uh, Psalm 2, if you're a student of the Bible, know Psalm 2. Psalm 2 has lots in there. It has a lot of implications in prophecy. Uh, Philippians tells us this, right? Uh, 
that uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, will, will, will. Well, when will that be, Lord? It isn't happening now. Well, it will happen. And these saints, these ones before the throne know it. For your judgments have been manifested. And after these things, I looked. Here's another vision. And behold, there was this temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Why was it called the tabernacle of testimony? What was in it? Well, there was this in the back room, in the Holy of Holies, there was an ark, remember this? And it, uh, above it is where the Shekinah glory resided. It was a wood uh, box, not very big, but it was gold uh, at the top with two seraphim that almost touched. And what was inside? One of the things that was inside, Ten Commandments. The testimony, the testimony of uh, the Lord and uh, those who uh, were followers of the Lord, the people of God. Well, this testimony was in heaven, and we know that these things, this sanctuary, is just a picture of what is reality in heaven. Hebrews tells us this. Well, here the heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. In other words, what the writer is telling you via the Holy Spirit is this came straight from God. This is coming straight from God clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. What does that remind you of? That See, there's a whole story in the Bible of the Shekinah glory, the essence of God filling the temple. And then when uh, the people of God uh, sinned and wouldn't follow him, it left the temple, and then it came back, or tabernacle, sorry, tabernacle, tabernacle, I meant to say tabernacle. But then later when the temple happened, then filled that one back up. And uh, there's even some scripture, I think it's Ezekiel that talks to us about how that's going to happen again, that the glory of the Lord's going to fill the temple. But uh, whatever, what I want you to know is this is what this, imp- this is what this is. The temple would smell filled with smoke from the glory of God, his essence. See, it's always about the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. That's what we're after. We want to be with the Lord and from his power. And no one was able to enter this temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. Well, it goes on. I might get there. I just might get there. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls, listen, of the wrath of God on earth. Now, what do you know about the wrath of God now? It's not vindictive. It's totally fair. It's not acting out of, he's not acting out of some sort of anger like we do, like, you know, when your team's losing and you throw a brick at the TV and you, you know, you, you break the TV or something. Okay, that's only happened to me, but, but whatever, you know, I mean, whatever. It does not, out, acting out of, uh, you know, uh, irrational stuff. This, this is the character of God. It's supremely perfect. He's supremely perfect. And you say, well, wait a minute. These are going to be horrendous, right? Yeah, they're going to be horrendous. But he pours out the bowl of the wrath of God on earth. Here's what happens. So the first angel, they, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. He pours out the bowl upon the earth. What happens? A foul and loathsome sore came. Look look at this. This one is not upon the entire world necessarily, just upon anyone 
who worshiped the beast. Remember, there's going to be a few who don't. Some are going to die. I'm convinced some are going to be hidden and maybe make it through. That's my own personal opinion. Other people don't believe that. But I think they are, and then uh, Jew and Gentile personally. But anybody who didn't take or who did take the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image, guess what's going to happen to them? There's a loathsome sore going to come upon these men. By the way, it's, it's just one. Did you notice that? It's not sores. That's interesting to me. By the way, this is similar to the first trumpet judgment, one-third of the trees and the green grass. So it was aimed at, uh, that was aimed at the, the kind of the earth. Uh, these sores are aimed at the, uh, some of the people on the earth. Exodus 9 then, you tie that in. Uh, you know this, that there was a sixth plague of boils inflicted upon uh, Egypt. Remember that? So it's very, uh, very close there that God's doing that, but it's one sore. One sore, a loathsome sore. It's an ulcer of some sort. Some people think, you know where that sore is going to be on each person that took the mark? Either on the mark on the right hand, wherever it was taken, right hand or forehand. I'm not saying it is, but some people believe it's right covering up the mark to remind the people of what they've done. And it's going to be a loathsome sore. A loathsome sore. Well, uh, Uh, the second angel, he pours out his bowl in the sea and it became uh, blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. Now remember, this is similar to the second trumpet judgment in Revelation 8.8. You remember this? One third in the sea of the sea creatures died in uh, the trumpet judgment. By the way, the first of the 10 plagues, blood, bloody water. Remember that? So it's uh, very much uh, God's character to use these uh, kinds of um, uh, judgments. But upon the seas here, turn to blood and death to all of the creatures. There's some debate whether or not he's talking about the Mediterranean Sea. But that would be kind of strange because uh, he said these judgments would be poured out upon the earth. So could it be that it's in all of the seas? Can you imagine if all of the seas had all the creatures in them after it had been turned to blood, first of all, die? Uh, can, you, can you imagine the smell? Uh, can you imagine what would happen to the few food chain systems and all that sort of thing? This is major catastrophe. The food supply is judged by God, which tells me, look, look, you know what, man? I mean, seriously. Do you know how blessed we are <laughs> to have food? I don't want us to go by this. You know how blessed we are? We, we get to come home and, you know, you, you get in the refrigerator and, man, you got like 40 things in there. Or in our case, you know, 40 two-week-old things. And No, I'm kidding. We got a new refrigerator, so it's easy to find it now. But anyway, uh, Right? We, every, every meal, there's something there for us. There's going to be a time when the food supply here in the last half of the tribulation period is going to be attacked and taken out. And to be claimed, listen, the blood wasn't even just regular old red blood like you see. It was, you ever been to the funeral home and touched your dead family member? It's going to be the blood of a dead man. Yeah. 
That's what it says. And, 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 it's going to be, uh, and every living creature is in the sea. He died. And then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now he's attacking the sweet water, the fresh water. And I heard the angel of the waters, which is interesting to me. Angels have a lot of different ministries. Catch this. There's an angel of the waters. Hmm. And the angel of the waters are saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. Are you catching it? The angel is trumpeting and telling people and repeating back to the Lord, Lord, you're so righteous for doing this. You're fair and just. And you might be saying to yourself, hold on now, is this true? We'll keep going. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. You remember this? I don't know if you remember this, folks, but people laughed uh, when the witnesses were killed. And uh, remember, uh, eventually, uh, through these uh, beasts and the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet, there were going to be worship of Satan, out-and-out Satan worship among the people. And a lot of horrific things would be taking place and are taking place now. Just watch the news. Sex trafficking. I mean, come on now. Where have we, what have we gone? Where have we gone? We're to the point where we're trafficking girls who are seven and eight and six. And could there be anything sicker? And it's just rampant in our society. And lots of other things, I mean, we could say, but here they shed the blood of saints and prophets, verse 6, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. That's what the angel says. Listen, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And many people believe that is a reference. Not the altar is saying anything. The altar doesn't speak. But that altar is where the sacrifices happen, right? And it's speaking out because you're righteous and pure and your judgments are true and the sacrifices show it, you see. Some even believe that that altar is speaking of the martyred saints again because they've been killed in a bloody death, and there you're saying, Lord God Almighty, it's so true what that angel just said. You are righteous, and your judgments, they're perfect. Well, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blast. Look, I got to tell you don't, don't you read the Exodus plagues, and you're like, Bro, just let them go. I mean, after the second one, the first one, really, you're, right? Don't you read it and go, why don't you just let them go? Second one, come on, man, let them go. Third one, you're just, are you kidding me? What? I don't believe the story, maybe. You, I know you believe the story, but you know what I'm saying? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Here, remember now, we're into the tribulation, and things have been happening. There's been seals broken, and there's been trumpets, and this is like, this sun one is like the fourth 
trumpet judgment, chapter 8, verse 12, when the heavens were struck and it did things to the things in the heaven. But now, men are scorched. It's like this turns up the dial on the sun to not 100 degrees, but 180 degrees or whatever. He's turning it up. The ozone layer is gone and it's scorching people with great heat. And they've witnessed these angels in the sky and the witnesses, and they know that there's this battle going on between the enemy of our souls and God himself. They have to know this. They've seen it. They've seen it on CNN. They've seen it everywhere on the TV. They've they've watched this. They know by now something's going on. The Lord is sending judgment. And they wouldn't repent. Because men's hearts are dark and evil. Our hearts enjoy sin, folks. Our hearts enjoy sin. I mean, sin is pleasurable for a time. And without the Lord, that's what we think the goal of life is. And then what happens is is we sin, we sin, we sin. And eventually, it's fun for a time. It's going to sting us. It's going to hurt us. It's going to scorch us. And these people, they, they couldn't even get themselves, their pride was up and we're going to defy the Lord and we blasphemed his name who has power over these plagues. See, they knew that he had power over these plagues and they didn't repent and they didn't give him glory. So hellish. I want you to think about something now. When you're in the middle of a tribulation or a trial or life and and your pride is just riding high, (laughs) how else do you say it? Your walls are up. You're doing what you want to do. You might even be coming to church. You might even be serving in the Sunday school. You might even be giving money in the plate. You might be doing all those things. You might even have a, a keeping a journal, but, but you know, your, your heart, and you know it's not tender. And then something bad happens in your tribulation. The bill doesn't get paid. The cancer comes. The, the, the person leaves. The, the relationship goes sour. Uh, the grade you wanted didn't come to fruition or, or whatever. And, and there's this tendency for us to say, what's wrong with you, God? I served all that I did did all this time and you treat me like this now you don't say it like that but you say it like that I just want you to know that that's hellish I need to know that's hellish it's so radically different than right up above here's these ones who've been slain. (laughs) They died for their faith. They had families. They had jobs. They had things. They had the same stuff you do. And they were with the Lord. And all they could say is, listen to this. Your ways are perfect. Nothing you've ever done, Lord, is bad or wrong. The only thing I ever wanted was to be with you. I didn't even know that, and you brought me here, Lord. Everything it is, whatever you did in my life, it was all for my good. That's what they were saying. But the ones who 
blasphemed the name of God. They had these things happen, similar things happen, but they did not repent. They didn't repent, and they didn't give him glory, but they knew from whence the plagues came. And they were stiff-necked, and they hardened their heart. You know, there are many people in the world who said, you know, if people just knew about the power of God and the righteousness of God and the wrath of God, if more people just knew, they'd give their hearts to the Lord. But I'm saying, I'm not so sure. Here it is right here. They know, but there's something in our sin nature that just puts ourselves up against God, and it's deep. And I want you to know, and I need to know, that your heart is deceptively wicked. Our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who could know it without the, all the sheep have gone astray? <laughs> well, uh, the fifth angel he pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Catch that? The fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. By the way, just as a reminder, in 2 Thessalonians, it says to those who refuse to repent and take, uh, refuse the love of the Lord, do you remember? During this time, the Bible tells us that a strong delusion will be sent their way. You say, well, wait a minute, delusion. But remember, what God did to Pharaoh's heart was not change Pharaoh's heart. It's just that as Pharaoh set his heart, remember, he set his heart. God just confirmed what was already in his heart, similar to how he worked with Saul, I believe. So the point that becomes, before we go on to the sixth bowl, the point becomes this. If you're here and you don't have... You don't know if you're going to heaven or if you're watching online and you don't know if you're going to heaven... Today is the day of salvation. It's not to wait till you get into this point in the middle of a tribulation period. No way. Today is. He's calling us to surrender our lives to him, to count on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection for our salvation. So that when somebody asks you, do you have eternal life? You can say, oh, I do have eternal life, but it's not because we brag about it like uh, religious people do. No, we, we are, we're people of grace. We're trophies of grace, God's trophies and his mercy. And we say, no, no, we know we have eternal life, though, because of the finished work of Christ, our Savior, the one who we've given our lives to, the one who we will go anywhere for or do anything for. That's him. We'll do that, but it's all because of him. Oh, man. Well, they didn't repent, but today is the day of salvation because remember, folks, during this period, we'll be in heaven we're not going through this. Well, then the sixth angel in verse 12 poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Now, when you read Euphrates, what do you think? Well, you think this. You think uh, of, of this great river that started right there in the Garden of Eden. 
right? And it is a river that is, uh, I think, about 1,800 miles long. Uh, it's in between some places 30 yards to like 100 yards wide. It's a big river, a long river, massive length, and 30 uh, feet deep in some spots, so pretty, pretty deep. But uh, it goes a long way, and it's in that fertile crescent in the Middle East, you know. Uh, through Iran and Iraq and all that sort of thing. And then it's a boundary line. It's a boundary line for Israel. God gave uh, uh, the Israelites, or the, uh, the, the Jews, uh, this land all the way up to kind of the, the north and the, I guess the east. I'm bad with directions. But uh, that boundary of where it goes all the way up to the Euphrates River. So uh, this is an important river. But this great river and its water is dried up. A sixth angel pours out his bowl and the judgment is the water is dried up. Oh my goodness, that's fascinating. So I had to look it up. Yeah, this is true. There's dams. I'm not cussing. It's with no N. It's dams. There are these dams in Turkey, these massive dams. I think it's called something like the Aratuk Ara uh, Dam that can regulate this whole river. And um, in some of the old articles in some of the um, uh, uh, magazines, some of the people that are, have uh, engineered that dam have said that they could turn off that dam and keep Iran and Iraq, the Euphrates River, all throughout there uh, dry for eight months. This is a massive dam. And so what the point is, you go, well, how in the world could God do this? Well, God could do it if he wanted to do it. He could just do it. But the technology is even in place uh, to do this. The Euphrates River, its water is dried up. Listen, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Well, what's that all about? The ways of the kings of the east might be prepared. Well, that word in the Greek actually means rising sun. So most commentators, most commentators think this is a reference to the Far East in that the armies of China and Japan, rising sun, are going to have easy access over to the Middle East. Why would that be? Well, just gather, just look at verse 16 just for one second because they were gathering together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. What's Armageddon? It's Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. It's the Jezreel Valley. Some people don't believe that, some commentators don't believe that's the east, the far east, even though it says rising sun, because in Matthew, you know this, where did the wise men come from? The east. And so maybe this is just the Babylonian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian armies. You be a Berean and think about that. Whatever, there's this river that dries up and kings from the east are preparing. And they, he, listen to this. He saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, turn with me to Exodus chapter 8 real quick. These are rooted. Uh, God, God's using these judgments, right? And he uses them uh, again in, in a way. 
<laughs> I'm having problems getting there. Exodus chapter 8. You know this, right? The second plague were the frogs. And I don't really have to read it to you. I, the second plague, he goes to Pharaoh, Moses says, and can you, hey, you know what? The first one was pretty bad, right? Pharaoh, waters become blood, but how about letting my people go? But if you don't, you're going to have frogs all over your territory. Now think about what frogs were back in their society. Frogs were good things back in their society. What, what, what happened? It was an agricultural society. What did frogs do? Keep away insects, all the stuff that would injure the crops. Guess what else you could do with frogs? You, some of you even do it now. I've personally never done it, and I don't think I ever will. Eat frog legs. You eat frogs. So they could eat them too. But there was also the goddess Hect. She was the goddess of fertility, and they worshipped this goddess because if they worshipped properly and good enough, guess what would happen? She was the goddess of fertility. You'd have a lot of kids. Why did you need a lot of kids? Because you were farmers. So frogs weren't necessarily a bad thing. Isn't that interesting? But they were worshipping a deity that wasn't the Lord himself, and so he sends frogs. <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. Look in verse 9, and Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from your and your houses that they may remain in your river only. In other words, Pharaoh has come now and said, man, make it stop. That's too many. It's obnoxious. I mean, this is repulsive. And Moses says, okay, God can do that. And then I want you to see what he says next. He goes, but do it tomorrow. He says it right there. Do it tomorrow. Isn't that just like what sin is like? Oh, I got a pornography problem. I've been to this mountain retreat with the men's group. Oh, okay, I'm driving home. Yeah, I'm going to stop. I'll stop tomorrow. Or, you know, I get pounded every weekend and I just drink till I can't drink anymore. And, you know, I'm feeling, and, you know, I know I've been going to church and the, the word has just been doing its number on me. And, uh, man, I just feel so good in there. Lord, just this last Friday, and then it'll be over. But those are pretty drastic. I can hear it in your silence. What about the gossip? Boy, does gossip feel good. Oh, does gossip feel good. You know why gossip feels good? If, you, if gossip feels good to you, if you are talking behind people's back and it feels good, you know why it feels good? Because it appeals to the flesh. Because it makes you, the person you're talking about, go there, and it makes you go here. The problem is it's a sin. And that ties into what we're talking about in Revelation. <laughs> Why did I take you through all that? Because this world is sick. It's perverted. It's evil. And God's ways are perfectly just and true and righteous. And he's given these people and us 
opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to know him. You and I, we say, don't we, when we watch the news and see something cruddy that we hate, Lord, why don't you just come back? But we've been studying over the last couple months, the reason he doesn't come back is for salvation. He's giving people the chance. So I took you through all of that because he sends frogs. And now you kind of understand why it was frogs in Exodus. And you now kind of understand why frogs are coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're these spirits of demons, of course, because it tells us, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Did you catch what that's saying? Is that the kingdoms of this world are under the sway of the devil. And they're going to go out to this this battle, that great day of God Almighty. And it says here, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment. Uh, garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And you know this from Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. He says things like this in Luke 12. The end times, this scenario is like a thief. And what he's saying is, please get ready and please stay ready. Wake up. Be one who's watching for the return of the Lord. Be alert. Don't just think it's about, uh, uh, you know, football games and, and, and cute little uh, picnics and all that stuff. None of that's bad. But it's, it's about the Lord. This could come at any minute. And so keep your garments. Just remember that you're clothed with uh, uh, the, the robes of righteousness. Be prepared and prayed up and alert. When you get up tomorrow, it's more than school. It's more than work. You do need to do those things and be responsible, but there's something greater and higher at stake, and that's people's lives. Their spiritual lives, their eternal destiny are at stake tomorrow morning. As soon as you get there, well, even tonight, but you know you get the point. And they gathered them together. They gathered all these kings of the earth, including those from the east, And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. Megiddo is the Hebrew term, Har Megiddo, the hill or the mountain of Megiddo, but it's Armageddon in the Greek. Now remember, some people believe this is where the battle happens, right here in the Valley of Jezreel, north of Jerusalem. Others believe that this is a whole campaign. Armageddon is a whole campaign. It's like, uh, you know, there's several movements, including Armageddon being at the Kidron Valley, which is right beside the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and then also down in Basra, and it's some campaign. I personally believe it goes south to north, but there are some people who believe that they're gathering in the Valley of Megiddo and that's where the gathering point is for all the kings. And it would kind of make sense. Uh, you got to look in there. I don't think it would hold all the king or the armies of the world, but it's a big place, a big valley. And then the battle is raging also in Jerusalem and also uh, down near the Dead Sea. Either way, uh, uh, this is a rendezvous point. This is a place of central intelligence. This is a place where the battle's 
uh, are going to be, you, you know, the armies are going to gather and there's going to be a lot of strategy there. Well, look at this. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven saying, it is done. There it is. It's done. Just like Tetelestai, it is done. It is complete. Judgment is complete. And there were noises and there were thunderings and lightning and a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. This is the earthquake of all earthquakes. Uh, and now the great city was divided into three parts. Big debate about what the great city is. Is the great city Jerusalem? Some people believe that. And that somehow, some way, there's this partition off of three parts in this battle. Some people believe that what they're talking about, the great city there, is uh, Babylon itself. It is divided into parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. This whole movement here in this seven judgment even caused the islands to go away. They fled away, and mountains were not found. Knocks down the mountains somehow. This is cataclysmic, catastrophic, never seen before, sheer horror. But pure judgment and purely fair. And a great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hellstone about the weight of a talent, about a hundred pounds. And men, look, it's almost hard to read. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. They knew it came from God, and still they blasphemed him since that plague was exceedingly great. Whew. That's heavy stuff, huh? Well, you know what it says to me? Uh, we put this up today, I guess, in some social media, you know, our Habakkuk quote about the joy of the Lord and his salvation and how joyful. When I'm reading this, I'm on two tracks here. One track is elation, gratefulness, thankfulness, almost on your face going, whoo, thank goodness I ain't going there. And you're so thankful and grateful. You'll be in heaven and doing the things that the heavenlies are doing, the people in heaven. You'll be doing those things. You'll be participating in those things. But then there's a second part of you, right? that goes, I don't want to waste time anymore. <laughs> People's lives are at stake. And here's the funny part about it. They don't even know it half the time. They, they don't even know it. They're just walking around, building their kingdoms, telling you about jobs, jobs are fine, telling you about their 401ks, telling you about their kids in sports, telling, telling you about the prom and what their daughter did and all that sort of thing. And that's good and fine and, yeah, right, good stuff to talk about. But, see, that's their life, and they have no, there's nothing in their blind spot even. I mean, excuse me, the Lord is in their blind spot. There's nothing in their vision. The Lord is, they, they don't even know. They're not even thinking. It's not even, he's not even on their radar. And the Bible is saying to us and to, to me and to you, I want you to tell them. So they wouldn't perish. Because see, God's heart is that none of us would perish, but that each of us would have eternal life. And that's God's heart. So as I close out here, and I'm going to pray. 
and then we're just going to go on. <laughs> uh, I want you to think about somebody in your life that needs the Lord. Just needs to surrender their life to Christ. You, you, just think about it. Just have a name or two or three or four. And tell the Lord, I'll pray it, how happy you are that you're going to be saved from this tribulation. And yet, you're calling upon him to help, you know, to, to come and to show himself mighty and strong to these people and that they would respond to the Holy Spirit's tugging and guiding and directing towards Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for what we're learning here today. It's, it's really sobering, Lord, and yet it's fair and true and right. We've thumped our nose at you for all this time, Lord. We've committed these heinous sins against you. We've slaughtered little ones. My goodness, we even traffic them. And many other things, Lord, that are evil and wrong and not right. Lord, forgive us. And yet, Lord, by the blood of your Son, you do forgive us. You tell us that we're going to be with you forever. Lord, there's these people in our lives, these people who we're thinking of right now, we're crying out to you, Lord, and we're saying, Lord, help. Lord, show us what to say, when to say it, how to say it. But Lord, more than what we say, we're praying that your work in their hearts would prepare their, the soil of their hearts for the implanted word, the seed that we would be able to share and that it would come to a place of a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, for all these people and all that we're all thinking about right now. Lord, do your work. Lord, we'll expect it, that you're going to do a mighty work. And when it happens, we're going to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. And you have a great week. And if there's anything we could pray about or for, yeah, please come up, and we'd love to do that. Otherwise, God bless you.